What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? Grant and Dan are coming back at you with another batch of off-season report card grades. We are on the Northwest Division, which I'm going through the um, the the outlines that Grant and I set up. Or if it's wrong, I set it up myself. If it's right, both Grant and I set it up. Uh, it took me forever. This division was fucking annoying. But I am wearing my Pokemon shirt for the occasion. If anyone is watching on YouTube, shout out to the homies at the Uncontested Podcast for sending me this. Uh, this division is going to be a humdinger, but before we get started, Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to hand out some high grades because uh, we have uh, had some rough ones, and this is going to be uh, a lot of positivity, at least flowing from my end of, of the grade sheet, so I'm excited about that. Just A pluses across the board. I don't really give out A pluses. I've done it before, but it's very rare. A plus to you for putting these transactions together, by the way, as you uh, alluded to there. Yeah, I wish see. people could, could see the, the sheer length of this Google Doc with the Northwest transactions. Dude, the Northwest was over a thousand word recap. Like, fuck these teams for making it. And like, th we don't even know what's happening with Donovan Mitchell yet. Uh, but very quickly to recap the criteria, homers need not listen to this podcast. There will be some, I guess not for this division. Homers, feel free to listen to this podcast specifically. Like, this is your yeah. podcast. But we're grading teams relative to the tools that were at their disposal. We're not going to say nice things all the time. We're also not trying to unjustifiably you know, destroy teams. Uh, if there's a move that we dislike, we are going to name what we thought they should have done instead and players that we thought they could have targeted. Again, that's really just irrelevant to this podcast. Uh, and, and just a reminder, again, it doesn't really matter for this podcast, but C is good. Like C is, they had an average offseason. Maybe if it's a C plus, slightly above average. So don't take those personally. I know that no one will probably even pay any mind to this um, recap of that or description of how the grades work, but it, it makes me feel a little bit better knowing it's out there. We are going to begin with the Denver Nuggets, and I'm just looking at this. This list of transactions is harrowing, but we're off. Notable moves. They signed Nicole Jokic to a five-year, $270 million designated veteran extension. He has a 27-28 player option. It's worth $61.4 million at the age of 32. Jeff Green picked up his player option for $4.5 million. The Nuggets traded Jermichael Green and a 2027 first, which is top five protected through 2029, then turns into a 2029 second for the number 30th pick in this year's draft, uh, which was Peyton Watson, and a 2023 second rounder, which is the most favorable of Washington, Miami, Dallas, and OKC, and then a 2024 second rounder, more favorable of Charlotte, Minnesota, which they then traded to Portland. They also created a traded player exception as part of that deal. They use more than half of it already. They have a little over $3.6 million remaining. They drafted Christian Brown at number 21. I actually think that he has a chance to play for this team. They acquired Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith for Will Barton and Monte Morris. They created a $9.2 million traded player exception in the process for Morris. They signed KCP to a two-year $30 million exception uh, extension. Excuse me. The final year of that extension, 24-25, is a player option. They signed Colin um Gillespie to, to a two-way contract. They acquired center Ishmael Kamagate at an at number 46 from Portland for a 2024 second rounder. That was the more favorable of the Charlotte, Minnesota pick that they acquired from OKC in the Jermichael Green trade. They signed Bruce Brown for the mini MLE, two years, 13.3 million. That final season is a player option. They signed DeAndre Jordan to a one-year vet minimum deal. They re-signed Vladko Chanchar to a three-year, $6.82 million deal. The final season is a team option. They signed Devon Reed to a two-year, $4 million a $4 million deal. The final season is not guaranteed. They promoted Calvin Booth 
after Tim Connolly left for Minnesota, they signed Adonis Arms and Kellen Grady to an Exhibit 10 deal, and they also signed Jack White to a two-way contract. Their notable exits include Austin Rivers and Brent Forbes, who both went to the Wolves, and then DeMarcus Cousins and Marcus Howard remain unsigned. Holy fucking shit. Grant, what grade did you give the Nuggets? Should, should I talk for like five seconds and make you start talking again after all that? <laughs> yeah, I need to, um, I'm like, my watch is tracking my heartbeat. I'm like in cardio mode at this point. <laughs> uh, this is an A. Uh, I'll start with the, the arguments I think uh, I'd be willing to hear for knocking it down to an A-. minus. Um, losing Connolly uh, to Minnesota, you, you know, I think it was initially reported he got ownership stake or something, and, and then maybe it's like, well, I don't know. It just if you've been critical of the Nuggets for being too cheap, for being a really good organization that's owned by a very rich owner, um, that losing Connolly to another team potentially over money, you know, that might rub you the wrong way. And then the DeAndre Jordan signing, like, it's a one-year veteran minimum deal. I think it's a, a dumb signing, but it's like it's not fatal. It, like you, it can't kill a veteran minimum signing. Like whatever, they'll find, go find. Well, let's talk about Hassan Whiteside again. Like, go find somebody else out there if you need a backup center for the like four minutes of playoff games that Jokic doesn't play. So uh, it's an A. Jok the Jokic extension, great, locked in, awesome. Um, I think KCP fits perfectly. I just I've seen him play in finals games on a title winner, and like I, that's kind of a reductive way to think about it. But he fits exactly, I think, what this team needs at the two. Uh, I love Bruce Brown. Um, and the defense, the, both him and KCP, the defense that they're going to get out of those two are big upgrades, I think, um, along with Aaron Gordon being back. So just the idea of this team now, if you have Murray back and you have MPJ back and you're, you know, you've got like, you've got options and th th this roster just feels like every, every addition they made made sense. So, I mean, I'm not going to go through all the, the, the smaller things like the Jermichael Green trade, fine, just to move that money off. Um, I think a lot of people like Christian Brown. I can't profess to know enough about that to, to have a real strong take on it. Plus this team is so good. I don't think he's going to be a factor at least this year. Um, I just think they got the big moves, right. G you know, extending KCP was also like, I think that's a solid move. So big moves, small moves, like theory of the team addressing needs, um, just kind of just ticked all the boxes as you go down. them. So, um, I think this is one of the best. I mean, it's an A. It's one of the best off seasons in the league to me. So we diverged from this pretty substantially. I gave them a B. Okay. Uh, and this is coming from someone who might pick the Nuggets to win the title. Like if I was forced to choose right now, <laughs> I think they had a good off season. But I, I think it's inexcusable to let Tim Connolly walk over money. I know that there's some sort of like equity type incentive that they gave him but the fact that he was even in a position to leave in the first place speaks to where they've skimped on executives just in general it feels like dating back to Masai Ujiri Calvin Booth team is, is more than capable from what everyone around around the league says that's great it's still just the optics are, are just I, I don't know that's uninspiring um yes they nailed the Jokic contract they nail some of like the other move. I love the Bruce Brown signing. It might've been my favorite like free agency fit. Uh, one of them of the, the off season, the KCP trade was great for them. I think the extension is absolutely fine too, but just like giving up a 2027 pick and that's a Michael green dump. I know that they got number 30 Peyton Watson better be really fucking good just because I'm not in favor of giving up a distant first round pick that's protected so far out. You've limited. If you wanted to go make other mid season moves, like you've kind of, now tethered yourself to a certain level 
of transactions, or you have to start talking about like, well, we do, do we need to take a swing by putting Bones Highland in there? This team may be already finished. So I'm not trying to say they need to make another big trade, but that's just, I don't like trading distant first round picks uh, in to get off like an expiring contract and to get back the number 30 pick and some other second rounders. It just felt like a, that was weird. And to me, I thought it was just like incautious. Like it was, it was just a little bit reckless. And then, Yes, they nailed most of the big moves, but why are you signing DeAndre Jordan? Like, is it solely for the locker room presence? And you also, you just gave two guaranteed years to Vlatko Kanchar, and I know that he's tight with Nikola Jokic, but, like, you got to do one or the other at that point because I know you have Jokic, but your front court bench rotation is still just, like, their bench might be better than last season by virtue of just them being healthier and maybe having a little bit more better-fitting talent. Uh, at the same time, you just look at their backup big rotation right now, and it still is sort of uninspiring. Is it Jeff Green playing a lot of small ball five? You have Zeke Naji as well. Are you actually planning on playing DeAndre Jordan? Because then that's that's absolutely terrifying. Um, so just like missing on those small moves, in addition to trading a 2027 pick in a non-blockbuster deal that didn't net you any significant assets, um, and then on top of letting Tim Connolly leave, I just don't think it was a perfect off season. And I get that some people will probably be higher. I think there might even be some people who are lower than this, but they've also, I, I believe in bones Highland, but like going from Monte Morris and bones Highland as backup guards to fucking is Smith now is in like, that's a, that's a huge downgrade. You have Bruce Brown in there too. So that's not, that didn't factor in, but I don't think this was by far and away a, a home run off season. I think they got the biggest thing, right? And that's the Nicole Jokic trade. And then Bruce Brown, signing I loved and the KCP trade while it was in effect they were dumping money it's one that addressed one of their bigger weaknesses so I'm better than okay with it I like it but to miss on some smaller moves on the margins or give up that long-term pick and then again I think Connolly leaving has to be a part of this grade as well you've talked me down to an A minus because because the, <laughs> the, flat, the flat A implies like they got everything right. And I did I already listed the Connolly thing, which is not nothing. And the Jordan ro- using a roster spot on DeAndre Jordan is also not nothing. So I'm going to go A minus, but I still, I still like it a little better than you. I think overall, they also did use the mini MLE when a lot of people were concerned that they wouldn't. So maybe, maybe I'll bump mine up to a B plus like later, but they, look, they had a very above average off season regardless. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going to stick with my B you went with an A minus. The next team up, the Minnesota Timberwolves did some stuff too. They hired Tim Connolly as president of basketball operations. They signed Carl Anthony Towns to a four-year, $224.2 million million extension. He has a 2027-2028 player option valued at $62.1 million. That will be his age 31 campaign. They traded Jake LaRavia, the number 19 pick, uh, to the Memphis Grizzlies for Walker Kessler, the number 22 pick, and Ty Ty Washington, the number 29 pick. They then traded Ty Ty Washington 2025 and 2027 seconds, both unprotected for Wendell Moore Jr., number 26. They traded for Rudy Gobert from the Jazz in exchange for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Balmero, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, a 2023 first-round pick unprotected, 2025 first-round pick unprotected, an unprotected 2026 first-round swap, a 2027 first-round pick unprotected, and then a 2029 first-round pick, top-five protection. Minnesota also created a $4.4 million traded player exception for Vando as part of that deal. They traded Bryce McGowan's, the number 40 pick to Charlotte for Josh Minot, 
the number 45 pick, and the Knicks' 2023 second rounder. They signed Kyle Anderson to a two-year $18 million deal. They signed Torian Prince to a two-year $14.6 million extension. The second year is non-guaranteed. They signed Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers to one-year veteran minimums deals. They signed Nathan Knight to a two-year $2.8 million deal. It fully guarantees on January 10th he can also veto a trade. LOL. That second season is a, is a team option. They picked up the options on Jalen Noel and Nas Reed. They signed... CJ Ellaby to an Exhibit 10 deal, and they signed AJ Lawson to a two-way contract. Notable exits include Josh Okoge, who signed with the Suns, and Jake Lehman, as of now, remains unsigned. Grant, what grade did you give the Minnesota Timberwolves? So this is a B for me. Um, I think that we get caught up, and I, I maybe I shouldn't say we, but I think in general, you know, we look at, as you're reading it, all those firsts and all is how many times you said unprotected. And like, I, you know, you're talking about at least one, two, three rotation guys uh, that went out for Rudy Gobert. Like, it's just a lot. And anytime you're the team that everyone talks about as like you reset the market in terms of what a first rounder is worth, like you've done, you've, you've, you've been, you've operated boldly. Like, let's put it that way, at least. And maybe that's the nicest thing you can say about it. But I just think for this particular franchise, where it's at. I'm okay with it. I think the Gobert contract is there's like four for about 170 left on it. And like, yeah, the last couple of years of that might be ugly. I just think he has the, the upside is big. The potential for Gobert to turn the wolves into one of the league's best defenses is very real. Cause he sort of just, if he's on the floor, that's just the situation is that the, the defense is elite. So yeah, the two big thing, I don't know, but if you're going to fit another big next to Car- next to Gobert, like it's great that he's the best high volume three-point shooting big guy of all time. Like I so Cat is going to have trouble guarding guys on the perimeter. It's less of an issue with Gobert behind him. All that said, like the playoff picture for this team, I don't know, cuz all the same problems that Utah had might manifest and and this just doesn't work in the postseason. This is the Timberwolves. They just like they they have they jump on the table when they win playing games, right? Like this is this is a franchise that if you're gonna take a swing, I think I think it's okay. I think it's okay to have done this. And like it cuts against how we evaluate almost every other team. And I don't know if that's it's not logically consistent. It might not be fair. Um, but just getting Gobert in there, I'm okay. I'm just okay with it. It costs more than it should have, but I love the swing. I love the try. And it also, as a as a as a bigger picture thing, it feels like the Timberwolves are ready to start operating as like a franchise that's going to do some stuff. The Connolly hire is another piece of evidence to that end. I think the the ownership changing. I think the the pockets are deep and they are open. I think there's just it feels like the Timberwolves are getting serious. And and maybe this will blow up. And it was a huge mistake. And like we could talk about Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers and whatever else. Or I, I don't know. I just that's not that big a deal to me. Um, the Gobert thing, I just, I like what it signals. I like the, the call borderline recklessness, um, felt like the right time. And, and like, we haven't even talked, I didn't even talk about, you know, getting cat on that new extension, which I'm just fine with, I guess. Um, this is all about the Gobert trade. It's so I give that a B, um, the downside is massive. Um, but I think the upside for this particular franchise is high enough that, that I just, uh, I like 
I gave them a B plus and I'm with you on the go bear trade. And the only things I would add to it are there is an outcome because you mentioned the downside. You mentioned the upside. The upside is you have three all NBA players on your roster all of a sudden because Anthony Edwards looks like he's on that trajectory. And so why not go in on a move like this? Uh, because the highest end outcome is championship contender. And I think they're going to be a dominant regular season team. My okay. question, which is why I don't think you give them an A minus or an A plus the two biggest ones I have from this trade. What does it look like in the playoffs? We saw Steven Adams get played off the court against the Wolves specifically, but then he was also on the court against the Warriors. And Hey, we just watched in the finals, the Warriors and the, the Celtics played with, they predominantly started to, you know, Kevon Looney and Draymond Green aren't like bigs, yeah. but bigs. So I'm okay with this. And also Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, they complement each other well on offense because of Towns' shooting, his ball handling from the outside in, and Rudy Gobert is such a devastating uh, screener and roller and finisher above the rim. Uh, and you can stagger their minutes during the regular season. Yes, there are questions about crunch time. The downside is there. But I, it's like I said when we were talking about the Hawks and DeJounte Murray, I want franchises that are not the Lakers, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Heat, the Warriors. I want them to take these risks when there is – the, even if it's a 3% potential outcome of them being like an actual title contender, take that swing because of what it signals. And that's what they did with Tim Connolly. The other question I do have, which is also why I didn't go a little higher, uh, is one, I love the Kyle Anderson signing. But like, do you have enough shooting on this team? I also thought you must really trust that you're still going to be good in 25 and 27, that you gave those picks up to get Wendell Moore Jr., who I actually like. If his three-point shot from his final season at Duke is real, and when he shot over 40% uh, on, like, I would say semi-modest volume, like, that helps. You have, like, a 3 and D wing type in there. But Jaden McDaniels, the whole spin has been they gave up so many picks so that they could retain him. I am very high on Jaden McDaniels. If you told me that the Jazz were willing to let you keep the 2023 pick and then the swap, if they took Jaden McDaniels, then yes, I would throw those in there. Now, if they were willing to take back the 29 pick or the 27 pick, that's where I would have considered it. But my guess is that the Jazz wanted those picks over Jaden McDaniels. And also, so I'm viewing this as if you include Jaden McDaniels, maybe you save your 2023 first and that swap. And you know what? I'd rather have Jaden McDaniels just flat out. If it was those distant first round picks, then we can have that conversation. The other reason they had to pay and I'm not, you know, I'm not someone who's going to bow at the altar of Danny Ainge. He made it very clear, just based off the lack of other offers that were out there, that they were just going to keep Rudy Gobert. And so if you needed to get Gobert of Utah, this was the price. Like, if they actually over... This isn't about what was the second best offer, because it was probably dog shit, because yeah. teams needed to value Rudy Gobert more than the, the Timberwolves did, and they, they clearly did not. If we're talking about an overpay, could they have fought hard to keep Walker Kessler? Could they have fought hard to keep Jared Vanderbilt? Maybe, but like neither of those players matter when you have Cat and Carl Anthony Towns on those, Cat uh, and Rudy Gobert on your team. So instantly they become a little bit more expendable to the Wolves than people are viewing them in those terms. The one criticism I could give to this is that if without knowing whether this is going to work, you could have gone for much cheaper the Miles Turner route and effectively done a lot of the same things where you just have two floor spacers and Turner isn't as good as a rim runner. But Rudy Gobert is a generational defender who has enjoyed much better health than Miles Turner. And like I said, your highest end outcome now is you have three All-NBA players on your roster for the next. Rudy Gobert, another, what, two to three years of prime Gobert, at the, even if it's two. And look, there's a chance that he opts out of the final year of his contract. Dave Moore pointed this out on his podcast, and I think we're not pointing it out enough. It's stuff you know, but it's not acknowledged. 
$46.7 million in 25-26 might be something like the 30th to 40th highest paid player in the NBA. And yeah. so maybe he opts out, in which case this is a three-year deal. And if disaster strikes, you can just move on. So I'm I'm not just eminently okay. I love it. And I acknowledge that th there's a risk there. And would I personally have given up that much? Me personally, I am too risk averse to do it. But mm -hmm. I appreciate what they did. And I think they, you know, not I don't want to make this all about the uh Gobert trade. I think they, you know, I'm I don't really love, like I said, the Wendell Moore Jr. trade, but I like him enough to where giving up the two seconds in there, okay, whatever. I like Austin Rivers for this team. I think Bryn Forbes helps. I think Torian Prince folding him into a wing who can actually shoot or just some trade ballast, uh, salary ballast is good for them. I think that they made some nice complimentary uh, moves on the margins. And I, I, their most gaping hole, I think it depends on how you feel about Jalen Noel at this point, is do they have enough like playmaking outside of the starting lineup? Which maybe they don't, but they can stagger minutes so creatively here. I liked what this offseason was for this team, even if they overpaid and maybe skewed too far, like towards non shooters or, you know, a not like if there is a playmaking deficit on the roster. I, I two, two things. And you made me, you made me remember my, my very first thought about this trade when I was trying to, because my, my initial gut was like, wow, good for the Wolves. But then you worry about all the picks. The, the thing about Gobert having a player option, like if he gets to that point where he's essentially an expiring deal or even if you get two years down the road and he might be picking that up, I still think there's a scenario where you can move him and maybe you're getting, you're still getting positive value. And so like, it doesn't work, right? The fit's bad or just, he doesn't get along with, with Anthony Edwards or something, uh, you know, <laughs> the second star guard that he can't see eye to eye with. You can move him and get a, maybe you get a first back, maybe you get a first and another protective, something like that. His values may be high enough just on the market that you're recouping some of the stuff you gave up. That's one thing. I think that's a reasonable possibility if it just, you know, if we get a little ways down the road and it doesn't work. The other thing is if Edwards is the, is that guy, which I think we agree. And I think consensus seems to be that like, it's not even fair to call him like a dark horse superstar, you know, as soon as next year, I just think everyone sort of agrees that on, there's a list of guys that might pop and might just be who we talk about for the next 10 years as like franchise cornerstones. Great chance that he's that guy better mm -hmm. than, almost everybody. Then the first rounds, first rounders you gave up don't really matter that much because you've raised the floor on what those are going to be. You're, you're talking, you're not talking losing, you know, unprotected picks are terrifying. I just think if he's anything close to the type of player we think he is, plus cat is locked down. Now the wolves are not going to be like a 30 win team. I, you know, I think if you're conveying those unprotected picks, you're probably talking about late teens, twenties, if things don't go well, if things go really well and they just kick ass in every regular season for the foreseeable future, which seems very likely to me. Now you're like 24, 25, who cares? Like those guys maybe make, you know, maybe sign second contracts. I don't know. Uh, so, so those are the two things that sort of mitigate the risk to me. Um, I'm sticking with a B just cause that's just so much to give up, but uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, you, you could not talk me into going lower. You could definitely talk me into going higher. Love it. That brings us to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who I'm repping with my Pokemon shirt on right now. Notable moves. Derek Favors picked up his $10.2 million player option. They drafted Chet Holmgren at number two. They acquired Jermichael Green, who they bought out, and he gave back $2.3 million. And the Denver Nuggets 27 first-round pick, top five protected through 29 before turning into one second-round pick. They gave up in that deal the number 30 pick, Peyton Watson, um, and a 2023 second-rounder and a 2024 second rounder, neither of which are their own. 
uh, drafted Jalen Williams at number 12. They acquired Usman Jang, the number 11 pick from the Knicks, in exchange for Denver's 2023 first. Lotto protected through 2025, then two seconds. Detroit's 23 first. That's top 18 for the next two years protected. Then it's top 13 protected in 25 and top 11 protected in 26. Top nine protected in 2027. Then it turns into a 2027 second if it is not conveyed. And they also give Washington's 2023 first round pick. It's lotto protected for the next two years. Top 10 in 2025. Top eight in 2026. Turns into two seconds. So effectively... They viewed Usman Jang worth the three conditional first round picks. They drafted another Jalen Williams at number 34. They declined Lou Dort's $1.9 million team option and signed him to a five-year $82.5 million deal. Only $64.8 million is guaranteed of that number. And there's a team option on the final season, which by the way, he will only be it will only be his age 27 campaign. They signed Kenrich Williams to a four-year $27.2 million extension team option on the final season when he'll be entering his age 31 campaign. They signed Mike Muscala to a two-year $7 million deal after declining his team option. Uh, and he has a team option on the final season of this deal. They signed Eugene Omururi to a two-way contract, and they signed Sacha Kalea Jones to an Exhibit 10 deal. Notable exits, they waived Isaiah Roby, and NBA Twitter was incredibly mad about it when it happened. Grant, what grade did you give the Thunder? This is an A. Uh, it, it's it's a flat A. I was about to talk myself down to an A minus because I'm not sure about the Jing trade, but like you said, three conditional firsts for a guy that is a, a typical OKC product. Like we project, we just like the upside is through the roof. Is a 10 percent chance of reaching it. Like I love the big swing. Fine with that. Um, I think getting Holmgren at two. I, you know, we've just gushed about uh, Paolo Bancaro on the last pod that we recorded. Um, I, I think Holmgren is just right there. Um, the way that he might transform that defense. Like if he led the league in blocks this year, would you, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And no. then you've got all this other ancillary offensive stuff that he looks like he's going to be capable of. Um, we, if, if you didn't like the Jermichael green move for Denver, you have to like it for the thunder. Um, even though he, you know, he was just essentially bought out, but I think that's a fine trade. So Jalen Williams, uh, I went to Santa Clara and I have a text thread with a lot of Santa Clara people I went to school with, including him, even, you know, he's not on it. Even that thread did not, was not as, there was a lot of hyperbole on that because Santa Clara doesn't have NBA prospects almost ever. And even on that thread, nobody foresaw this, the way that he rose up the draft boards and the way that he looked in summer league, like huh, that's a two-way big wing that can make plays with and without the ball and it looks looks like he's going to defend, finish athletically. Like, this just was – kudos to OKC for getting him at 12 because this was a guy that, I mean, wasn't even, a, wasn't even like a first-round thought, really, for the vast majority of the season. So, And it looks like they really hit on that. The Dort deal, awesome, especially when you knock off all the money that's not part of the guaranteed salary. It's just like, great deal. Uh, maybe the Kenrick Williams one is even better because we all we were obligated to love him, and that's just a bargain. So uh, I just I'm I'm looking really hard for moves that knock this down from an A, um, and I just I'm, I'm having a hard time finding him. I'm curious if you were as high on this as I was. I an A, and the only thing that you really can argue against, and I, that's why I consider it an A minus B plus. Did they give up too many picks to get Usman Jang? They don't fucking need all those 23 first round picks. Like those fill in the roster spots immediately. And you're at a point where like you have actual players that you just drafted now that you just can't 
create all these roster spots. You have Josh Giddy and you have Chet Holmgren and you have Shea Gillis Alexander signed. You're not just going to give away Kendrick Williams. Like he's a veteran, but he's good. So it was people already mad that you cut Isaiah Roby and Hey, that's not going to be the last cut they make. Derek favors is probably next tail. Maladon might be on there because they have so many, they still need to cut down their roster. I like that they went all in on Usman Jang, who I actually liked. It just seems like a very smart player who's going to keep the ball moving on offense, defend his butt off. And like if the, oh, hey, this team hired, I didn't mention this, Chip England. Yeah. You we trust anyone talk, to help? It's got to be an A. It has it's to be an A. a. No, I can't believe I didn't even mention that. So that I'm sure there'll be people who don't listen to this entire segment going, by the way, OKC signed Chip England. Like <laughs> if you trust anyone to not just like, I'm not saying rebuild, but help Usman Jang with a jumper or hey, Josh Giddy working yeah. with uh or like just chet holmgren all of a sudden have this like much quicker release or something it was an a through and through and look you don't we we have to stop being hypocritical and if it happens inadvertently i get it but we can't be mad if okc is tanking and then get mad when they take swings like trading three first round picks into usman jang and look there's a chance that i would say there's a chance at least one of those picks they gave up doesn't convey mm-hmm. i don't know which one i'm kind of staring at right now is most likely i guess like the Wizards, I might bill, is the one that's least likely to convey. But like, none of those picks profiles like these top end assets. And so maybe if you thought that, oh well, none of these are going to convey in 2023. Well, Denver's is going to. So like, they gave up a late 23 first round pick. If you thought like Detroit's and Washington was going to spill into the bitter end, and uh, you know you have a chance of getting a lottery pick, if you want to just mark them down a bit for that, I get it. I like the fact that they recognize someone they like now. Also. They look, they signed in the past year plus three good players to keep. When you look at Shea Gilgis Alexander, the extension, and Kenrich Williams extension, the Lou Dort deal, which by the way, when you break it down, it's like four years and sixty-four million a season without the incentives and that team option. That is anyone who thinks that's too much for a wing who just defends his ass off, maybe a little small for a wing, but he's built like a fucking brick house and he can really get to the rim. There's some directionality on his drives. And hey, he's not afraid to shoot threes. You know, they're not always going in. And I'm a big believer of there's value in the volume as well as the accuracy. So I don't know how you dislike their offseason. I just don't know what there is to hate. And look, that Jim, I just criticized the Nuggets for giving up that 2027 first round pick in the Jermichael Green trade. That's sort of a nice rainy day asset because what if something goes wrong in Denver? It's only top five protected. So I thought this was a home run off season for them. I don't think they instantly become good, but like this is a team that, and I thought this last season, we definitely, they deserve to be slaughtered for the way that they were actually slaughtered by the Grizzlies. But that was not reflective of their rebuild, which has had a rhyme and reason and direction for longer than people have credited. If you want to, you know, if we fast forward months and they're shutting guys down again, I can get being frustrated at that point. What are we doing here? But like they're doing actual things to build up the immediate player base. I loved this offseason from them. And I think the Chet Holmgren pick, when you're looking at the two players that were back on the board, is there a chance Jabari Smith Jr. is better than him? Sure. But Chet Holmgren is going to be, I think, a monster. And if he gets stronger, like he's going to be the quintessential complementary offensive player, I think. But if there's a chance that his ball handling skills develop and he's given that agency over the offense and then he's getting even stronger on defense, we're talking about someone who himself could be a very transcendent talent. Agree. Nothing to add. This is just the flat A. I don't know why I was so impassioned about giving the Thunder an A just there. I'd spittle flying off my mouth into my microphone. The Portland Trailblazers, 
They signed general manager Joe Cronin to a four-year deal. They acquired Jeremy Grant and the number 46 pick for number 36, uh, Milwaukee's 2025 first, which was top four protected, and the 2026 second, the most favorable of Portland or New Orleans. They then traded number 46 to Denver for a 2024 second rounder, more favorable of Charlotte, Minnesota. That was actually, I thought, a good deal for them. The the Nuggets, excuse me, as I'm like burping over here, Ishmael uh, Kamagate, that's who the, Nugget, uh, the Nuggets took with the number 46 pick, or that's who was taken there that the Nuggets got. The Blazers drafted Shaden Sharp at number seven. They drafted Jabari Walker at number 57 and then signed him to a three-year $4.8 million deal. The final two years are completely non-guaranteed. They signed Gary Payton II to a three-year $26.2 million deal. The final season is a player option when he will be age 32. Signed Anthony Simons to a four-year $100 million deal. No options. This takes him through his age 26 season. Signed Yusuf Nurkic to a four-year $70 million deal. No options. Takes him through his age 31 season. Signed Drew Eubanks to a one-year veteran minimums deal. Signed Damian Lillard to a two-year $121.8 million ex extension. He is now signed through his age 36 season, and he will be slated to make $63.2 million in that campaign. They waived and stretched Eric Bledsoe's partial guarantee, so there'll be $1.3 million in dead money on their books through 27-28. They signed Jared Roden to an Exhibit 10 deal, and then they signed Isaiah Miller and Norvell Pell to Exhibit 10s as well. Notable exits include Joe Ingles, who signed with the Bucks, CJ Ellaby signed with Minnesota, Bledsoe, Elijah Hughes, and Ben McLemore all remain unsigned. Grant, what was your grade for the Blazers? I give them a B plus. Um, and the the knockdowns for it were the Lillard extension, uh, just the sheer cost of it, as you outlined, and and the fact that like he's got was it three more years on his existing deal? I, I just like we didn't. It didn't feel like we needed to do this. Clearly, Portland felt differently. Um, that's just kind of a different situation there where the the loyalty between the franchise and Lillard, you know, needs seems to seems like they need to project that as strongly as they possibly can in both directions just to keep everybody, you know, from trade speculating or whatever. That's a little rich. The Nurkic deal I really didn't like at all at first, but you know, with the, the caps going up, it's just I don't know. I, I guess four for 70 is for like an a guy who's I mean, he's also younger than he I he is. I, this takes him through age 31. He's still in his, he's 28 right now. So, yeah. But uh, to me, he's, a, he's average at best on, on both ends. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, if the Blazers intend to play meaningful playoff games, I have questions about how he'll hold up there. Clearly they do intend to do that. Um, but everything else I, I was good with, I just, I like the grant trade. I think he really helps. I think adding him and Peyton together finally uh, in a meaningful way changes the way that this team can hold up against good offenses. Cause this, you know, just every year, every year for, for as long as Lillard has been there with like maybe a blip in there when, you know, Harkless and Aminu were, were in their primes defensively. Um, the defense has been terrible. Uh, so I think just getting those guys in there, uh, certainly Peyton to a greater extent than Grant at this point in his career can really change the game defensively. I, I think that matters. I think the numbers are fine for, for Peyton specifically Simon's iffy because you're building a team around two small guards again. Um, and you're really crediting him for some meaningless games. Uh, I, I love his potential. I think athletically there's like, he should just be such a better finisher. Um, all the three point shooting he can do. I think that's real. Uh, now it's been, now, off the dribble stuff has been there since day one. Yeah, it's large enough that that's that doesn't seem like a fluke. Um, so I think backing up, Portland wanted to put a, as good a roster as possible around Lillard. I think they did that. I think 
that doesn't mean that this team ceiling is any higher than like the fifth seed in the West potentially. Um, but I think they're relevant. I think they're competitive. And then you kind of, un, you back all that up with Shaden Sharp, who there are some people I think who believe that maybe this guy, if we'd seen more of him would have gone first. Now there's also people that think he would have gone 25th if we'd seen more of him, but I love the upside swing. I love that they kept him. The injury sucks. Uh, he got hurt in summer league, like right away, basically. Um, but I the like that. Shot it was very shade and sharp of him though. It was like fading away, like difficult right. over a defender on the baseline. Right. I, I like the, I like the potential for that to give them a guy who in a couple years, uh, is ready to like be a rotation guy or a starter. I think, I think the upside's there. So, um, I get it if you hate the Lillard thing or, or you think Nurkic is overpaid, but, um, I think on balance, the Blazers, like, I mean, they were active. Like you, all the moves you listed, this team had as many like consequential moves as anybody else over the summer. And I think they hit on most of them. Yeah. And look, I'm fine with a Simon's contract. If you, I gave them a B, uh, yeah. I don't like, I, I think I like the Nurkic contract less than you do. I would say he's decidedly above average on offense and probably average on defense, but I have questions about how that's going to hold up for them in the playoffs. And it was just like, what was the center market here? Yeah. Viewed in comparison to Mitchell Robinson getting four years and $60 million for no fucking reason. Yeah. This deal's okay. thought it was a slight overpay, but nothing that was too sinister. Again, the cap is going up and even Lillard's deal. I thought it was unnecessary, but like someone's going to, if the Blazers need to pivot, someone's going to give you value for this contract because they're going to mm -hmm. look at Lillard and say, look at how many years he has left on his deal. And again, is $63 million. That's probably not even going to be the 10th highest paid player in the league at that point with the way the cap is scaling right now. So um, I, I wouldn't have done it. I think that was probably the most reckless thing that they did, but the, like it's Damian Lillard. So there's the, there's the cachet there with Yusuf Nurkic. I'm kind of like, Eh, but I like the grant trade for them. And if things go belly up and you don't think he's coming back, you could still move him. I know you mentioned them building around two small guards again. I think Simons is a different level of off the dribble shot maker that it works. And then just athletically, you would hope that he becomes better defensively than CJ McCollum there. But they've also insulated them more than ever, at least since like Wesley Matthews was there pre Achilles tear uh, by having Gary Payton the second, Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant. And you are a little smaller, but like I like that I like, I want to see, and look, frankly, we should, when you look at their backup bigs, I like drew Eubanks, but they don't really have like a, a try a true blue backup five, or at least a battle tested one. Uh, Jeremy Grant at the five with Josh Hart, Gary Payton, the second Simons and Lillard. Why not? Why not go yeah. that small and be super dynamic? Uh, did they need to give Gary Payton, the second, a player option? Like that's questionable, but I don't think anything they did was detrimental. There are things that I think there are a bunch of things that I'm just sort of harping on, which is why I go, um, scale it down to a B for them. But Shane Sharp is big here. And I just don't know if I'm accounting for him enough just because I, I didn't see enough of him. Um, and I'm curious as to how they bring him along if he's healthy, given what their immediate aspirations are. Is he more trade fodder than actually future peace? Does that become reckless by moving someone like that? But what you functionally done for now is have that upside in the bank and still got better. It's like you didn't mortgage a huge part of your future. And you mentioned this on one of your po the podcasts we did the trades that were floating around for Jeremy Grant was like number seven for Jeremy Grant and other yeah. stuff. It wasn't even close to that. So I don't think there was anything. I think there are things to maybe dislike. There's nothing to hate or that seems unforgivable about their offseason. I think if the fact that they extended Lillard is probably the biggest risk or the most reckless thing they've done, there are far worse, most reckless things to do. And like you said, their ceiling seems capped immediately but you have Shane Sharp in the bank. And so like, if we're projecting forward, this is a team that like, they're not tethered to one direction anymore. And there's a difference between 
what CJ McCollum was getting paid and he was going to be extension eligible this summer and getting up there in age to now Anthony Simons is on this four year deal that might be below market by the end of it. And he's only through age 26. Uh, the final thing I will say though, it probably would have been nice to see them. Like if you trust in Nas little, I get it. Uh, and, and like you want to play small all the time. It would have been nice to have seen them figure out a way to add like other or another bigger wing. If you consider Jeremy Grant, one bigger wing, like someone who's bigger than Josh Hart or, or Jared Roden here, or at least like, could we have gotten a more inspiring backup big rotation than like, okay, if it's not little and Jeremy Grant, you're going to downsize fine. But if it's drew Eubanks and you know, CJ LB or whatever you're going to run out with mm -hmm. that, that's something. And look, there's, there's an easier way to get, like impact centers on the cheap. And so that's something they definitely could have addressed, but this was a good off season for them, especially it seemed like they were tracking towards disaster at one point last season. Yeah. Credit to them. They, I mean, yeah, like you said, it was bleak. It was, it didn't, it did not look like there were a lot of outs here and they, they, I mean, this isn't a rebuild per se, but it's a pretty quick pivot, I think. And a good one. And they also just have like Keon Johnson and, uh, Justice Winslow flo like floating around on this roster out there. Those are players that if Keon Johnson pans out with his physical tools and Justice Winslow can hit a set jumper in addition to defending like he did, those are those. Hey, look, you found your your wings that I was just you know sort of. Well, right, Win Winslow could play. Like if if right. Winslow is the best version of himself, which we've seen, like then suddenly now your rotation looked real interesting because you can you can have him and Grant at the four five and really get some stuff done. The thing I wanted to see them do, and they were never going to do this because even as of right now, I think they're they're in the tax. I would imagine they're going to get out of it. So I'm not going to compliment them for going into the tax after a catastrophic season. I wanted them to keep Eric Bledsoe as a human trade exception. Just yeah. guarantee his salary and then flip him. But that's not something to actually knock them for. Uh, B for me on the Blazers, B plus for you. Our final team, the Utah Jazz. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, the stuff is looming over all this. So I, I kind of caked in the fact that like they're going to move Donovan Mitchell at one point, but it was just tough to do this team. Anyway, Quinn Snyder resigned. They then signed Will Hardy to a five-year deal trade. They traded Royce O'Neal, the nets for a 2023 first round pick. It's the least favorable of Houston, Brooklyn's or Philly selections. They created an $8.8 .8 million traded player exception in the process. They used most of that on Bolermo and Vando. They traded Rudy Gobert to the wolves for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Bolermo, Walker Kessler, the number 22 pick, Jared Vanderbilt, a 2023 unprotected first, an unprotected 2025 first, an unprotected 2026 first round swap, an unprotected 2027 first round pick, and a top five protected 2029 first round pick. They also created a $9.7 million traded player exception as part of that deal. They signed Johnny Juzang to a two-way contract. They signed Simone Fontecchio to a two-year $6.9 million deal. That is fully guaranteed. Their notable exits include Daniel House left for the Sixers, uh, they waived Juan Hernan Gomez. He ended up with the Raptors. Trent Forrest signed a two-way with the Hawks. Eric Pascal signed a two-way with the Wolves. And Hassan Whiteside remains unsigned. Grant, what grade did you give the Utah Jazz? It's an A. Um, I almost don't even care what happens with Mitchell. Because like, keeping him is good and then getting three or four firsts, I guess, which would be the market right now, would also be good. Um, we both like the Gobert trade for Minnesota. I think you have to love it for the Jazz. Like, this isn't new. That's just such an incredible haul for a player that you were going to pay a lot of money to uh, that the, the 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 sand had run through the hourglass on the Gobert Mitchell pairing, and what so a great way to put it. You, you must know, be a writer. It's an, I've writer. been considering it, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so it's it's not quite like saying you got this incredible haul of picks and like some useful players too, which you could flip or keep um, for a guy that had no value to this team. 
but it was like they were they were going to move him or they were the, the, the change was happening so it's like he wasn't going to be on the roster it didn't seem like and so i think clearly they got the absolute best possible package imaginable beyond imagination uh for for, for gobert and so everything else is secondary i think it's kind of it's the type of thing where we are we are so guilty all the time of like you're either you're either trying to build a title winner or you got to strip it down and you got to start over and there's like nothing in the middle is okay and we've i think cut against that by a lot of these teams blazers are a great example being more in the middle is okay sometimes but what i love about this is the jazz just just did it like there wasn't you know danny ainge comes in and like suddenly we are starting over and nobody can be mad about it because everyone agrees we just absolutely reeled in the biggest haul that, that could have possibly been foreseen. So I love that they just pulled the trigger and did it. Um, it sucks to lose Quinn Snyder, but I think maybe that's another situation where, you know, the time was just up um, and he saw the writing on the wall and didn't want to coach a rebuild. So that's fine. Um, I think bringing in Will Hardy on a five-year deal feels, feels kind of like a Brad Stevens type of thing um, with, with that Celtics pedigree. So um, yeah. And just like ancillary stuff, getting a first for Royce O'Neal, what, how, how did that happen? I, I can't believe that that was the market rate for that. That's great. So I don't know. Um, I guess the Mitchell thing could make it an incomplete if we were trying to be like really, uh, I don't know, attention to detail on this, but uh, the Gobert trade was just such a, such a coup for, for the jazz that I can't really do anything less than an A. I gave them an A minus because they ruined my fucking summer by leaving us. in the <laughs> for so long. No, personal. Uh, I, I gave them an A minus like to sort of account for the incomplete that it's you need to follow yeah. through with this rebuild and that if it's not trading Donovan Mitchell, it is balancing out the roster to have fewer guards and actual wings on mm -hmm. the team. Um, but the Gobert trade home run, Quinn Snyder leaving, that was the the circumstances were so weird, but it's like you said, was it just sort of time for everything to blow up and he prefers to be the next guy in San Antonio when Pop leaves and coach that rebuild than whatever the Jazz are doing? Uh, it's also, he had clashed with, this is a different front office regime, but there had been like weird stuff behind the scenes with Quinn Snyder and the Jazz for a while. So I'm ultimately okay with that because they are rebuilding. If you were trying to make the most of this roster going, getting like seeing Quinn Snyder leave that, that's hard Um, to get what they did for Gobert. When I don't think even if we went to the second best offer that there was ever a trade package anywhere close to that, I get why the Wolves did it, but for the Jazz to actually get that much is huge. And I know people say, and it's typically when you're talking about national writers or podcasters or whatever, like ourselves, that we romanticize draft picks and rebuilds. I get that sometimes. This doesn't feel like that situation. This jazz core had very much run its course. There was mm -hmm. discord sowed behind the scenes for a while at this point. And the other thing here is just like, don't police fandom or what you value in a team. If you, if you want to root for a team that's just going to flirt with contention or never get there or get all these second round exits or first round exits, that's fine. As someone who covers the league and like likes watching the league, I want to see teams strive for a championship. And if you don't have the clear path to the title, then I'm fine with you starting over. Uh, could they like bump up my grade to an, a flat out A, depending on the Mitchell trade or what they do with the other players? Absolutely. Could it go lower? Probably not, because you're not going to lose the Mitchell trade when you're looking at. And you won the Go Bear trade by such a high yeah. margin that you have like room for error elsewhere. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, like, the. I think the only way you could absolutely despise the offseason is if you thought that there was an avenue to them acquiring a fringe star big win. Like, could they have given up their 2026 pick and gotten Jeremy Grant? And would that have actually elevated them to title contention if it cost you 
let's say Jordan, let's say you're able to keep Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, but it costs you Jordan Clarkson and other stuff. That might be a fair criticism, but I also like the idea of you were existing in sub contention because that's, I do think the peak jazz when they were in the bubble were title contenders, but since then yeah. it's been like sub contention. I respect that you blow it up and you're starting pretty much anew. Um, this grade could go lower if they just sort of let everything drag out to where you have so many veterans on this team. You don't move them and you keep Mitchell that you're not good. You're not bad enough to maximize your pick. I just don't see that being the case. Even if they let this leak into the regular season where you could argue that maybe they're banking on the Knicks starting slowly and upping their offer or another team coming out of their woodwork. I think the deal Donovan Mitchell moving ultimately gets done. And the fact that they did it on their own terms, rather than anyone asking for out, rather than anyone going into the final year of their deal, looking at Mitchell and Gobert specifically, I think that's great for the franchise as well. These decisions are tough to make, even if you're new, like Danny Ainge, and operate as this detached executive in the past, like you did in Boston, to just get rid of, to just not junk, but to annihilate a team that was dominant in the regular season for the past half decade plus. That's a hard call to make. You made it. You got a ton of value for Gobert. And I, I totally respect it. And I think it was a fantastic outcome for them because now the band-aids finally ripped off too. They mm -hmm. didn't like half-ass their way into this. You know what's happening and no one's talking themselves into some illusion of something else. The other thing too is, is there's so much room for them to, to collect more future assets because, you know, we talked about Bogdanovich. You might get a first for him. I don't know. If you, a future protected first. You're definitely getting some for Mitchell. Robinson. You, sure, sure. <laughs> why not? So, I mean, uh, Conley probably doesn't have any value, but like there's a scenario where, you know, the Jazz collect two, three more first, I mean, just for Mitchell, and then maybe one or two more elsewhere. And now we we said it for the Spurs when we did them, like you're kind of in the Wembenyama sweepstakes if you really go all the way down. And suddenly you start to look like the thunder of the last couple of years with all these incoming picks and you're bad, but like the turnaround is ready to happen like ASAP. So I think... There's actually, you know, this, the, the rebuild could stop now and they'd be, and the jazz would be in great shape, even if they kept Mitchell and like had a gap right. year and tried to really put it together. But the rebuild could just like, I mean, this could be like, this is like two or three off seasons of, of, of rebuild work done in one. So, and, and it's not done. So like there could be even more stuff coming in. So the jazz are just, I mean, th this is how you do it. This, this is really how you do it. And like you said, the key was they did it on their terms. They didn't wait until they were over a barrel. They didn't wait until, you know, they, they felt like they were losing leverage. They just, they just went and did it. And so, I mean, I think that should be a lesson to a lot of teams is if it's not working and you know, it's not going to work, just, just go for it. And also even giving Will Hardy a five-year deal, let's say the, it's only the first four that are guaranteed, you've given yourselves runway for this rebuild now. Yep. It's not operating on a shorter timeline. And so I think that's easy to appreciate as well. Yeah, agree. Let's recap these grades on the Northwest Division, a very rosy podcast. Uh, I gave the Denver Nuggets a B. Grant gave them an A-. minus. I gave the Minnesota Timberwolves a B+. Plus. Grant gave the Minnesota Timberwolves a B. I, I gave the Thunder an A. Grant gave them an A as well. Uh, I gave... The Blazers a B, Grant gave them a B plus, and the Jazz got an A minus from me and an A from Grant. Uh, if you have not done so already, follow us on the socials. Grant is at GT underscore Hughes. I'm at Danfa Valley. All the podcast socials are in the podcast description, the YouTube description. Join our Discord podcast and YouTube description as well. It's located in there. Please subscribe to us on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast players. Do it at both mediums. That helps us out a ton. And leave 
maybe like nice or pleasant or at least positive, not positive reinforcement, but like constructive comments mm. and, and likes help us out a ton on YouTube since some of the comments on YouTube get a little, a little dark, I would call them. Until next time though, and like always, Grant and I leave you with a shout out to the one, the only, the indelible, the legendary Frank Neilakina.